You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, playing our part in a healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom, paying attention to the ways these films have shaped our imaginations. Hopefully along the way we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too. Today we're going to split the ice apart and break the frozen heart of the 53rd movie in the canon, 2013's Frozen. We'll try and discover if this icy force, both foul and fair, has a frozen heart worth mining. And I do mean icy force. This is the first cultural phenomenon we've discussed since Lion King. The studio put out 20 movies in between those two. And I also do mean both foul and fair. This movie is as braided as Anna or Elsa's hair. The beauty and the danger are of a single piece. It's as frustrating as it is lovely. With me, as always, is just a bit of a fixer-upper. He's got a couple of bugs. His isolation is confirmation of his desperation for human hugs. It's Michael Farmer. Thanks, Josh. If only there were somebody out there who loved you. <laughs> you said you did. <laughs> uh, and this month, we have a very special guest and former student of Michael's. I haven't met her yet, but I'm sure she's the nicest, gentlest, warmest person ever. Welcome to the show, Hannah Thompson. Oh, thank you. That was a beautiful introduction. Hannah, as I think our listeners are going to find out, is the person I know who loves Disney the most. Do you want to talk about your credentials a little bit, Hannah? I've been hoping to have you on this show for years. Yeah, I do love Disney. I I proclaim myself not as a Disney movie fan, but as a Disney parks fan. And of course, one bleeds into the other. So I keep up to date on all of the movies. I watch them all just so I can stay on top of what is going on in the parks. So Frozen has a special spot in my heart. It is a movie about sisters. I am a sister. Uh, my sister and I really bonded over this movie. And then how it translates into the park. That's how I started to fall in love with the Frozen franchise. The the parks are how you fell in love with the franchise. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think at the end of the last episode, I said that you would probably have a similar disgust as I do to Frozen taking over the Norway Pavilion. But it sounds like I am dead wrong about that. You are wrong. All right. I'm sure we'll get to that eventually. <laughs> so that's interesting. I, I Hannah, I feel like you're bringing a much different perspective than we usually have on the show. I mean, Michael obviously loves the park. And he's mentioned that several times. Um, I've gotten, uh, you know, we don't we don't get a ton of fan mail, but um, some of the fan mail we've received has been disgusted with how little I know about the parks um, <laughs> and uh, my my failure as a Disney fan in that area. Um, so. So, yeah, I think we, we usually come through the movies. So um, can, can you just describe that a little more for me to I, like that? That's way outside my experience of understanding, like a love for a franchise because of the park. Can you can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, um, I worked at Disney World in 2016, which was shortly after the height of the frozen mania. Um, it was just starting to die down. But 
Frozen was fully established in the parks at that time. So I worked in Hollywood Studios where there is a Frozen stage show that quickly became one of my very favorite shows to watch. It's funny. It's got all the music. It's got the characters. I'm also someone who loves meet and greets. And so in the parks, you get to actually meet Anna and Elsa. And they're both very fun and engaging characters to meet in the way that characters like Mickey and Minnie aren't as much so. The face characters really get into the lore and the stories of behind the movies. And then you can interact with them verbally, obviously, in a way that you can't with um, fur characters. And they're just they're super fun to every interaction is different. And they're always willing to do crazy things. Like the last time I was at Disney World, um, Anna showed me her wedding ring from Frozen 2. Um, and so they all they integrate the movies into the characters in the park and you just get to expand, like fully, fully immerse yourself into the stories more than you can just by watching the movies at home. You've done something I didn't know was possible, Hannah, which is you make me want to go to a meet and greet, which I'm not sure I've been to since I was a child. You make it sound like fun, even for adults. In Epcot, you walk through their summer house. And so in addition to meeting the characters, you also get to be put into a setting from the movie. And one of my favorite parts of the movie is the scenery and the art and the rose modeling. And you get to physically walk through that space and see, you know, all the Norwegian symbolism and all of that physical. Do they make it cold? <laughs> no, no, it's not cold. Because uh, I could see, Just, I could see how that would be desirable in in Epcot. I was going to say in the yes. summer, but really year round. Yeah. I don't know what it's like where you are, but down here in the south, when I was watching this movie, I think the high was a hundred and one. So it really, um, it really felt nice to see the waves of frozen water in this movie. Yes, um, I'm in the border of Minnesota, North Dakota. We're in Fargo, um, and it has been like about 100 degrees for the last week. And today we dropped down to the 70s. But the waves of the frozen fjords and the snow and everything actually made me miss winter. <laughs> yeah, which is saying something when you live that far north. <laughs> yeah, and you guys are right. This is a, the, you know, the, this movie is really pretty to look at. You know, like they they really um you know there's there's different styles as we've gone through the eras of the movie but i feel like in this uh you know the computer generated era it took them it took them a little while <laughs> to get to where it was you know really really pleasant to look at but they do some really nice things in this movie the thing that struck me was the footprints in the snow looked so they were almost photorealistic or the the scene where it's it's Sven and uh and Kristoff kind of trudging through the snow and the tracks they leave look exactly like tracks do in real snow, which after eight years in Minnesota, I have a pretty good idea of and Hannah even more so I'm sure. Yes, I agree. They are very realistic. Yeah. And then just, um, you know, I mean, I think this movie is, is kind of beloved for like, for its, its background stuff. Like I, I know we had an art history teacher who loved, um, you know, showing her art history students the uh, do you want to build a snowman sequence just because they, you know, there's there's all these beautiful paintings in the background in the halls and stuff. And um, so there, there's a there's a classic art and then there's, you know, just the general background scenery stuff that's that's usually nice looking. Including the uh, the painting that was the inspiration for Rapunzel. And if I were any kind of podcast host i would have looked up the name of that but i know it's true the girl in the uh the kind of frilly victorian 
dress on the swing. Uh, that 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 was in there. She talks to her, and of course she talks to Joan of Arc, which was pretty cool. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I know exactly the painting you're talking about, and I also am the same sort of podcast host who didn't bother to look that up. <laughs> We're in that one together, <laughs> as we usually are. Uh. Yeah, I really liked um, the the look of the well. Like, there's some design elements in this movie that I that I like, just in the you know the background of I don't know, kind of the heraldry, I guess, um, is is kind of kind of cool to look at. But then also, uh, I really liked uh, when they're when they're in the trolls. Like, I just I felt like that little that little place felt extremely magical. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that scene and the scene where they meet Olaf in there by that frozen waterfall and there's all the frozen willows that one is also one of the more magical settings mm-hmm. yes yeah and, very true. and arendelle itself is really well designed although the very first time i saw this movie i said that looks just like the norway pavilion at epcot not realizing that frozen would one day become the norway pavilion at epcot do you think they had that in mind like do you think they designed the the movie after the pavilion in order to to make that change uh, Hannah would probably have a better idea of that than I would, since she's she's a little more familiar with the inner workings of the theme park. But I can't imagine they didn't. Uh, you know, we're in the Bob Iger era at this point, and there's so much of that synergy where let's let's cram as much of the movies into the parks as we can, for better or for worse. What do you think, Hannah? Yeah, definitely, and I I can definitely see them sending animators to Epcot to source material and to look for inspiration as opposed to sending them all the way to Norway, which I know they did send animators all the way to Norway as well. But to have people just walk around Epcot and say, look, this is a place that looks like Norway and then draw inspiration from that. I can see how that could feed into the animation of the movie. I wonder if the Norway pavilion, even before the frozen refurbishment saw a huge uptick in visitors. I know that the, the, the tourism to Norway itself went up something like 35% in 2014 and 2015. So many people loved this movie that it actually drove them to the original country where it's kind of set. Fascinating. I didn't know that. Um, I do know that shortly after Frozen Norway did get an expansion and they expanded the Norway Pavilion closer to Mexico and opened up a brand new bathrooms and brand new meet and greets for Elsa and Anna. So the pavilion did grow because of the movie. Interesting. I, I mean, maybe we should say what we're talking about for people who, who maybe don't know how Epcot works. But at the back of Epcot Center, there's the what's called the World Showcase where you have, is it 11 countries? I believe so, yeah. Each one of which is a kind of oh, recreation of either a spot in that country or just the kind of general vibe of the country. And I know that the Imagineers actually went to those countries and spent a lot of time trying to make them look realistic. Um, so, like, I think the Italy Pavilion is uh, San Marco Square uh, there in Venice. It even has the, the big tower and all that stuff. Uh, so the Norway Pavilion, which was not, I think, originally one of the more popular ones, has what's called a stave church. And it used to have this ride where you ride through the history and mythology of Norway, which is now the Frozen Ride, which I, I, I should say I have never actually ridden. The line was so oh. long the last time I went there. Oh, the line is always long. Yeah. It is a very yeah. short boat ride. It doesn't have a high capacity, 
Um, they didn't change anything to the ride system itself, so it's operating on the same ride system. So you still go so backwards. Still, yep, you still go backwards. Elsa shoots you backwards with her during like the let it go scene. Um, I was there on opening day. I waited in line to ride it. I was in line for about five hours before I had to go to work. And I had to get out of line and leave and go to work. So I didn't get to ride it until like two to three days, three weeks later. But uh, five hours, that's... uh... There was a lot of issues on opening day in that they were trying to overload the boats. And then the boats would get off the loading dock and just sink. And then they'd have to evac the whole ride, get everyone out, (laughs) do a couple empty loads, and then try again. I'm surprised they don't have a special um, writing time for for the people who work there. But I guess there's so many people who work at the parks and everybody would obviously want to ride the new ride that it, it probably wouldn't actually um, wouldn't actually speed up the weight very much. Um, there is now systems set up like that. Um, Disney employees are called cast members. Yes. Um, and there are yes. cast previews for new rides now. But at the time that I worked there, as far as I know, there wasn't any cast previews of the Frozen. Do you feel like you know Epcot Center now, Josh? Uh, yeah, I, f- I feel like I, I, I got a, I've, I've got an image of it in my head. <laughs> I'm sure it's nothing like the real thing, but I've, I've got a. I've got a bit more of a picture. Um, you guys talked about the the changes to the parks. There may be more you want to say on that, but then Michael, you also touched on the the kind of the larger cultural phenomenon of even driving people to uh, Norway. I don't know if we want to share our stories of 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 how we kind of understood this movie as the as the cultural phenomenon that it was. I'll say for for myself, it was it was a little later after the movie was was out. My um, my daughter attended a Chinese school, and so she was one of, I think there was, you know, only a, a, a less than a handful of, of uh, non-Chinese in the school. But um, it was a bilingual school, so so many of the students had English names uh, because their parents were, you know, trying to get them to uh, learn English and, and kind of, you know, uh, be prepared for, for the international lifestyle or whatever. But anyway, my, my, in my daughter's, uh, first grade class, there were five Elsas. Holy cow. But my daughter was born in, you know, 2010, you know, so just before this movie came out. So, you know, by the time the kids are, you know, in their pre-K kindergarten years and, and having to pick an English name, that's right when uh, Frozen is, is, you know, huge. So, Boy, oh boy. I, I told my story last time, which is that Victoria and I went to see it on Thanksgiving. We ran into these students from the college in the movie theater and they laughed at us for going to see it. And like three weeks later, it was completely inescapable to the point where in the spring semester, I remember if I made the mistake of saying, open up the window, because it was perpetually hot in the building, there, I would immediately be greeted by a chorus of, uh, oh, which song is that? Is Love it, is an open door. Love is an open door. That's what I thought. Yeah. That was, I think, the semester before you came, Hannah, so you missed that in terms yes. of college, but I assume you had it in high school as well. Yes, I was 16 when the movie came out. We also went to see it over Thanksgiving. My dad took my sister and I um, I think we missed most of the promotional material of it. My dad thought he was going to see a movie about a snowman and a reindeer. And we sat down in the theater and it opened up with the (laughs) the ice and the the chanting. And he went, oh, this is a musical. (laughs) (laughs) And he hasn't 
been listening it since. So I doubt it's grown on him though. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure all of us, even people who haven't seen the movie, have heard "Let It Go" so many times that it's burned into our brains. It's yeah, hard. It's hard yeah. to like that song anymore. It's hard to even hear it, right? You've heard it so many times from in so many different places that it's difficult to really approach that song anew. It's like, oh, it's "Let It Go." Yeah, there's th- that's for sure true. I mean, that that was another one where that song was everywhere, even in China, you know, like it was, you know, in, in the grocery store there and stuff, you know, like, um, uh, you know, you go into grocery stores here and you hear, hear songs in the background. Normally you don't, don't hear, um, English songs or American songs at all, but, um, let it go, uh, made it, made it through that. (laughs) And I, the same thing I was working at a, at a, uh, uh, a K through 12 school at the time. And yes, the middle schoolers and high schoolers were singing, uh, do you want to build a snowman and love is an open door and, uh, you know, all the time in the halls. And, and like you said, Michael, any, any opportunity, any triggering word, um, it, it was, it was right on their right on their lips. So be glad that you didn't live in a place that where it snows perpetually from October to April. <laughs> I think it mu- it must have been. I remember I had a friend once who was talking about you know however bad the new kids on the block phenomenon was for you. I lived in Boston, and it was ten times worse. That's what he that's what he always said. That's how I feel about about Frozen. However annoyed you were, just remember that my my students uh, were constantly surrounded by snow. So just like it was it was perpetually on their minds. I just thought it was so funny that they mocked me. For going to, for even going to see it, and then it was, you know, the the biggest thing that ever happened to them. But what are you well, going to do? Well, but I think that speaks to the the moment really well because I mean you're talking about what seventeen, eighteen, nineteen year olds, and so they they haven't experienced a, a a Disney phenomenon. You know, this is their Disney phenomenon. Like this is for them what. You know, like we, you know, we talked on the show when we were going through those movies, like, you know, we we happen to be alive and at the right age when, you know, Little Mermaid, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Aladdin, <laughs> like all those are, are coming out, you know. Um, so we, we lived through that phenomenon of Disney being a major cultural touchstone year after year after year. Um, and then it just wasn't, you know, until Frozen came out, like I, there, it just yeah, it just wasn't. This would be the first time in their lifetimes that it was. That, that's a great point, which I had never even considered, because, of course, like to me, there was there was this lull where the Disney movies weren't very good. But then, I mean, eventually it was always it was always in my mind as a cultural phenomenon. But I, you're probably right that a lot of people who were who were about Hannah's age, there had never been a really good Disney movie released that they could go see in the theater. Is that accurate to your experience, Hannah? Yes, most definitely. Growing up, Disney was The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid and those old movies, movies that came out before I was born or when I was <laughs> sorry. <laughs> or when I was real little. And so, yes, Frozen was the big the first time that there was a phenomenon surrounding a Disney movie. And you most definitely. You- you also didn't have the thing we had, which is they didn't re-release the movies to the theaters when you were a kid. So you'd never had the experience of seeing a really good Disney movie on the big screen. So it, it does make sense that people your age, having seen this movie, which I, I've got my problems with, but which is a clearly a, a, a very good movie, 
um, it, I, I can see how it, it would kind of in, infect your minds in a, in a, you know, for better, for worse. Well, let's uh, where, let's jump into the the movie itself there with with that comment, Michael. Um, where do you, where do you guys want to start with? Uh, I mean, Hannah, you actually mentioned the uh, the the opening scene with the um, you know the the saws plunging through uh, the ice into the water, which is you know they, they start this movie definitely with a um, it's it's it. It's something we haven't seen before, you know, looking up through the water at the ice as that figure comes on. And I'm sure I, I, I didn't look, but I'm sure this was released in 3D and I'm sure those saws plunging at you was was part of the effect if you went and saw it in 3D. Um, but it's it's still powerful. And, and you know, even even watching it in 2D now. Oh, yeah, I hadn't considered that. It, it seems to me, or at least I wonder, if that opening sequence was meant to reassure boys, because this movie, like Tangled, was originally, I mean, Tangled was not originally called The Ice Queen, as Frozen was. Tangled was originally called Rapunzel. But the, the name was changed in order to make it less uh, less gendered. And so I wonder if that opening scene, which of course does not have any women in it, as far as I can remember, and focuses on young Kristoff and his adorable baby reindeer, um, I, I wonder if it was there to say, hey, boys, this movie is for you as well. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it also to me, it was a, it felt like a bit of a uh, a callback to The Lion King, actually, which, you know, we mentioned was was kind of their last major, major, major hit with the kind of, uh, you know, the foreign singing uh, to to open the to open the movie. I was wondering if they were referencing that. That's a good point. Were they singing in Norwegian? Do we know? I believe so. I think that song is called Vili, V-U-E-L-I-E, I think is how you spell it. Um, and yes, I believe it is Norwegian. It's like a Norwegian folk song. It's not so much like actual Norwegian words and more of just like, it's a traditional Norwegian way of singing with sounds and vocables. I see. It's it's a it's a very good scene. It's it's animated really well and the song is really striking probably I suppose because it's not actually a lot of it is not actually words, right? It it is that that kind of chanting. So I I I thought that scene was really well done and it does kind of it it's it's very different than most of the movie, but also it pays off toward the end of the movie the I think the big action sequence has has quite a bit in common visually with this uh with this opening scene. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that I think the movie is um, I didn't I didn't think deeply about this until you just said it. But I, I feel like uh, it's it's bookended well. Like, I think they, you know, they draw they draw threads from the beginning to the end nicely. And then we move into the uh, the very cute and then very tragic scene with baby Anna uh, building a snowman with, with with Elsa's powers. You know, she she freezes up the ballroom and they build a snowman and then Elsa accidentally almost kills her, which is the kind of, um, uh, inciting incident of the movie, right? Like this is, this is what determines the character of both of these girls for the rest of the movie. Um, and I, I think that too is fairly well done. I, 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 I wonder about Elsa's characterization. Uh, I'm not sure she's a, a terribly well sketched out character. This is very much Anna, Anna, excuse me. My, my nieces would uh, be, be horrified that I pronounced it Anna instead of Anna. They always correct me. 
Um, it, I, Anna, this is really Anna's movie more than Elsa's. So I, I, I do wonder if Elsa really has a personality in this one. And having not seen Frozen 2, I also wonder if maybe she gets filled out a little more in that movie. Because you can't, I mean, you can't develop every every character. Right. In some ways, this movie really is, uh, it's, it's, it's a movie based on trauma, <laughs> you know, um, that inciting incident really is, is traumatizing for Elsa um, and also Elsa's parents. And that really drives them, um, as they say in the Fixer Upper song, you know, to make some really, really bad decisions. Uh, they need a little love thrown their way. Um, but instead, you know, they, they don't. And uh, it, it, you know, the, the fallout of that trauma is, is the rest of the movie. What do you think about what do you guys think about my complaint about uh, Elsa not being developed? Is that fair? Because, I, I mean, in some ways, she's the breakout character of the movie. My niece Maggie has a. Um, has a makeup mirror that sings "Let It Go." Like, I mean, this is this is the the character a lot of little girls wanted to be, and and maybe it's the lack of characterization that allows that to happen. I think this is something we've talked about on the show before: the Scott McCloud effect, where the the less well drawn a cartoon character is, the more you can identify with them. So, I mean, maybe maybe it's on purpose, but I did I did find myself um, a little. Left a little, no no pun intended, cold by Elsa's characterization. I definitely agree. I think the character of Elsa does fall a little flat. It's a little 2D. Um, but it is de- she definitely gets more of a story in Frozen 2. And something we haven't talked about yet is there's Frozen on Broadway, which is a, they take the story of Frozen 1 and pull it apart and dive deeper. And Elsa has much more of a storyline in Frozen on Broadway and gets like four I think four more songs that really expand her character and play on the theme of am I a monster Um, and how she how can she rule like justly, but also control her power. Interesting. It falls flat in this movie. It's definitely delved into and frozen on Broadway. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was a how 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 long of a movie will children watch right it's already an hour and 45 minutes long you add four more songs and you're well over two hours and um i'm I'm sure a lot of kids wouldn't pay attention beyond that yeah and i don't know a whole ton about the uh, development process for this movie i mean i know it was in development at the studio for i mean uh walt disney himself had the original rights to it (laughs) way back in the 40s but even not counting that i know there were there were a few um jettisoned attempts in the early 2000s to bring this this movie um to the screen and so um yeah i do wonder like how much stuff just got left on the table um and and that we just you know we just don't see or don't know about because of that sure i I mean and maybe the change in title from the snow queen to frozen is uh reflects the the change in emphasis from elsa to anna too right like um if it's if it's anna's movie you're not going to call this the snow queen because the snow queen is elsa but if it's if it's if it's uh anna's movie frozen makes a lot of sense because she is the one who actually gets frozen twice right on yeah um and and i think because of that like because of that dual protagonist Thing. If you would even call it dual protagonist, I don't know. You guys can argue about this um, as the as the more uh, knowledgeable English literature types. But like um, like 
it in any any movie like that, I guess is my point, is that you you do sacrifice some of those those deeper story arcs because you're you're balancing the the ensemble cast, if you want to call it that. Right, which is a, a complaint some people make about this movie, right? Is that there's so many main characters, so many big characters, that the relationships among them don't get developed to the extent you might expect. Like the movie walks away from Prince Hans for a good half of its running time, and by the time you get back, he makes this heel face turn, to use the the wrestling term. I'm sorry, he makes a face heel turn, not a heel face turn. He becomes a bad guy. In a way that, I, you know, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, I, I think it's a, a well-done twist, but I, I think also it, it probably could have been foreshadowed a little more than it was. And, and, and the failure to do that is because he just drops out of the movie. Right. You're going to have to convince me on this one, Michael, because this is actually one of my complaints with the movie is that there is no foreshadowing at all. Like it feels I mean, it's a great twist the first time you see it. But then after that, I feel like for a twist to remain great on rewatches, there has to be those subtle clues so that you come back and you watch it again and you say, oh, like now I see it. You know, like that's that's the key to a really good twist in a movie to me. Um, And other than the fact like the only thing I could come up with is, oh, he's number 13. Right. That's that's (laughs) what I was going to say. And that's not a great that's not a great foreshadowing, is it? I, I don't think so, but like I'm I'm willing to hear arguments on this. <laughs> no, Josh, I agree with you. I feel like there is no foreshadowing for what is going to happen later with Hans. Like even even when you watch it on the hundredth watch, he there's nothing that happens in the Love Is an Open Door sequence that would maybe hint at him having some nefarious reason for pursuing Anna. It just it appears to be a love story, and then it's not. The best I can do is that the movie does give you several voices saying that it is absurd that she would get get engaged to him the night she meets him, which is a common fairy tale trope, right? Like the, the love at first sight thing hammered over and over again in, in basically every princess movie we've watched, as far as I can remember. Um, and so if, you, if you're already coming in skeptical of that idea, you might you might have reason to be skeptical of Hans and, and, but I, you're, you're, I think you guys are right. that There's not a huge amount of foreshadowing there. I shouldn't have pulled my punches. I should have had the courage of my convictions. <laughs> well, I do think, I think what you bring up though is interesting because we've talked about the deconstruction of the fairy tale on this, on this show a couple of times. Um, and so that, that is an interesting thing because you're, you're, definitely 100 percent inside a fairy tale like magic is introduced you know super early on but then there is this skepticism of the fairy tale story so it's for me it's that's also a little bit um i I don't know it's 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 just an interesting thing i don't know that it's it's neither good nor bad but it's just kind of interesting because these characters are living in a world where everyone is aware that sorcery is is a real and like a definitely a thing that could happen right like right no, nobody's super surprised by the existence of trolls right yeah yeah so they're they're definitely living in the in the fairy or enchanted realm but then they are at the same time kind of deconstructing this idea of, of the love at first sight bit um but not entirely right because then when they're with the trolls and it's the fixer upper song like the trolls want to put um 
you know, uh, Christoph and Anna together and, you know, they've known each other just as much or less time as, as Hans and Anna did. <laughs> yeah, the, the critique of the fairy tale is selective, to be sure. And, and, and again, it's, it's another thing that I'm not sure what, while you're watching the movie, you're so swept along by it because it's, it's so well, well animated and, and it, it, it's so well paced. But when you, when you think back on it, it's, it's like, okay, so is this a critique of the fairy tale idea or isn't it? And, and I, I don't really have an answer for that. What do you think, Hannah? I don't know. I think I'm right with you. I don't have an answer for it. It feels like a deconstruction of it, but not too far. Like in the end, she still finds her love within a matter of a few days and there's still the happy ending. So I just don't know. Yeah. Um, and in, in, in that sense, it's a little bit like Enchanted, right? The Enchanted mm -hmm. is this deconstruction of the fairy tale that doesn't actually deconstruct it. And, Enchanted, Tangled, and Frozen. I can't remember if it was me or Josh called it the past participle trilogy. Oh. <laughs> it was definitely you, and I, I love that term. <laughs> and, and all three of them, to one degree or another, do um, do deconstruct the fairy tale. But Frozen, in a lot of ways, seems to me like a combination of Enchanted and um, Enchanted and Tangled. And, and it's probably better as a movie than either of them. I don't know. I... I, I I really like Tangled. Yeah, I think it's a little bit like you said at the beginning, Michael. It's hard to judge this movie on its own terms because it did become this huge franchise thing, you know? And so for me, like, it's impossible for that not to color my my judgment of the movie to, to some extent, you know? Like, wa watching Let It Go in the movie you know, just has a different feel in 2022 than it did in, you know, 2013 or whatever. I think um, going back just a step to the, like Hannah, I think you worded that really well. I think part of this movie um, and Michael, you alluded to this too, is like the being swept along. And then Hannah, you use the word it feels like, and I, I think that's part of the thing with this movie for me is it feels like a lot of things, but then if you like try and hold it up to the light a little bit, like it isn't actually any of those things. Like, um, you know, is it really a sister tale? Like they don't have a, their relationship is, is not there, you know, like the, the whole relationship is that they're closed off from each other. You know, um, is it really a, um, a deconstruction of the fairy tale? Well, like you just mentioned, Hannah, not really. She still finds her true love in a matter of days, you know? Is it, it like, like, what is it? What is this movie? It feels like these things, but what is it really? I don't know. It's, it's, just, it's a very hard movie to, um, to nail down for me, I feel like. And, and that's a point that, uh, our former guest, Stephen D. Gradonis makes in his review of the movie, which is that, it's not clear who her primary emotional relationship is. It, it, it the, the movie sets it up like it's going to be Kristoff. And then there's this turn at the end that she, you know, actually the act of true love is her, her sacrificing herself for Elsa. But what Gradana says, and I, I think he's right about this. Um, I think he likes the movie less than I do, but I, I think he's right about this point, which is that Anna and Elsa don't have a relationship. A Anna, Anna has a relationship in her memory, which has been, forcibly altered by the trolls she has a memory of what elsa was like 14 years ago 
And since then, they haven't had a relationship. And when she says, I love you and is willing to die for Elsa, there, I, I agree that on um, on reflection, there, there's something a little bit hollow about that. I sent you guys that review, I think. Did you? What did you think about that point? Um, I read the review. Um, I was more intrigued with his idea of her frozen heart being thawed by herself. Wasn't yeah. really the way it should have worked. Like, Since we're told multiple been... times that a frozen heart can't thaw itself. Yes. So I was, after reading the review and then watching it again, I just, it put the whole movie in a different light of like, it should have been Kristoff that saved her or Elsa that saved her. Um, she never should have been able to save herself. You know, it's funny. I had remembered, I hadn't seen this movie since 2013. And I had remembered that Elsa, the, the act of love the, that freed Anna from the curse came from Elsa. But it didn't, right? Like it comes, it comes from Anna in a, in a fairly incoherent way. It's moving. Like you see it and, and you, you tear up, right? Like because it's, mm -hmm. it's really well done. And, you know, it, it's great that she sacrifices herself for her sister. But at the same time, yeah, like it, it doesn't make sense within the rules of the movie. Yeah. Well, there's a point where Olaf says love is putting someone else's needs before yours. And then I was thinking, like, well, Kristoff just took her all the way down the mountain to the castle to bring her to Hans and give her over, even though he was the one that loved her. Why is that not the act of love? Right. Like, the movie could have been over right then. She could have thawed right in his arms and it'd be all happy. And then we continue on until she can fix herself. Yeah, that's a great point. And and it's a point, weirdly enough, that Olaf makes right after that scene, right? Like he he yeah. thinks that's what it he thinks that she just needs to kiss Kristoff because I guess they do say true love's kiss, but it ends up not being yeah. a kiss in any meaningful way that saves her. It's too bad because that's a really good definition of love, right? And what Kristoff does yeah. for Anna really is kind of the same thing that Anna does for Elsa. But the, the movie right. is the movie is not sure what they want to do with that, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that's the thing or that's my my kind of landing place on this movie is the movie isn't really sure what it wants to be. And somehow it still works like, uh, you know, it is, it is an enjoyable movie. Like like you said, Michael, like I, I think I, I I do like I mean, I know I like it. Um, it's just hard to rate it. Like it's hard to to rank where it falls for me because um, it it does kind of if it falls apart on reflection, but it's it's fun to watch at the time. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, this show is built on reflecting on it. So. Right. Yeah. It kind of it, it kind of breaks it. But like I, watching it, I was in tears at three or four points in this movie. Now, I, for whatever reason, I've been emotionally fragile lately, so maybe that's just that. But like it, it's a really moving movie and um even aside from the emotional stuff the action sequences are amazing when um when Kristoff is running over the frozen harbor and and jumping through the ship that has wrecked in the ice and is falling apart it's it's maybe the best action animation i've ever seen um unless you count like the avengers movies which i suppose are mostly animation uh, so, so like again, while you're watching it, it's a it's a really terrific movie. I don't have anything to pick apart the action sequence for though, so maybe that one at least holds up. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that point. I think it's it's the 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 songs are great, you know, like they're <laughs> really catchy and really good. Um they're clever in the right places. The action sequences are amazing. Uh this movie is funny, you know, and yeah, it's and, very uh, funny. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. very like it's it's that sort of quick witty type humor. Um Yeah, there there's a there's a lot to there's a lot to recommend this movie, you know, like this movie really. Um, and I think that's what maybe that's what holds it together. You know, it's just it's just fun. You know, like maybe it's maybe it's better to kind of all everybody who watches this movie to kind of do the the exercise that the troll does um, on on at the beginning of the movie. He's like, I'm going to remove all of this, but I'm going to leave the fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, just leave the fun of the movie and then that's fine, you know. Yeah, don't think about it too hard. Yeah, I definitely think the music of Bobby Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez hold up this movie a lot. And I think that contributes a lot to why it became such a phenomenon. And I so much of that music can just be standalone. Like there's times where I can sit and watch the movie and it just kind of feels like watching clips. Like you here you're gonna watch Let It Go, and then you're gonna like watch some fuzziness in between, and then you're gonna watch In Summer. And it, it can feel, kind of feel like just music videos strung together with little bits of dialogue in between. That's a great point. And, and all the, the music videos, as you put it, are really well animated and they all look very different from one another. Yes. I that do not a... love the music as much as you guys do. Okay, before we get that, I just want to say that, Hannah, I think that is an amazing point. And it actually, I think, I don't know if this is intentional on Disney's part or not, but when you said it that way, it's really a throwback to their older movies like i mean that's i mean you just described snow white you know like it's a bunch of like little music videos strung together you know like or um you know cinderella's is that way too you know like a a lot of those older you know classic uh um tales are not great great um uh, like deep stories but they, they you know they have the great music and they're and they're tied together some of those old ones you know it, it literally the way they made movies back then you know it's a bunch of different animation sequences directed by different directors and everything and then strung together to make the movie so i yeah i, I don't know that that was an intentional move on disney's part but it definitely uh it it it's obviously a formula that works but that, and that's a fascinating point because it might be the only way in which this movie really has continuity with some of the older ones. Because my first thought was this fits in with the Disney Renaissance, but it really does not fit in with the Disney Renaissance. And I, I think the music is key to why it doesn't and maybe also why I don't love the music as much as everybody else does. Well, say more about that, Michael. What, what, why doesn't it work or why I, doesn't it fit? It doesn't fit. Yeah, I, I think the music is glib. I think there's there's a, a kind of lack of elegance in the music, and it, it's because it's funny. It's by uh, for crying out loud, it's by the people who did Avenue Q, which is a very R-rated parody of Sesame Street, and and that show is funny and good, I suppose, in a certain way. And and it's not that I don't like the songs. I I just I find them lacking in heft for the most part, except for Let It Go, and Let It Go has been just completely 
you know, stripped of all meaning by by the the mass cultural repetition. Now, the two songs I really love, though, are Frozen Heart, that first one, which, you know, is in addition to being a really good song, totally encapsulates what they're trying to do with the movie. So awesome. And then In Summer, which really surprised me because I can't stand Josh Gad in almost anything. But that song is so excellent and he sings it so well. Can we talk about the character of Olaf? I, I want you guys to fight me on the music first, and then we'll definitely talk about Olaf. Do, 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 you, do you see what I'm saying about the glibness? I, I'm thinking about the, the line in Love is an Open Door where she says, we f- he says, we finish each other, and she says, sandwiches. sandwiches. And, like, it's a, like it's, a, it's, a, it's a glib joke. It's something that's kind of ready-made for social media. And, and there's lines in almost all of Anna's songs that are supposed to be like that. And I, I find it um, annoying a, a little bit. Um, I, 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 I don't know how to explain it other than saying it's glib. And, and maybe maybe glibness is what they're going for. I mean, maybe that's part of the deconstruction of the fairy tale that they're going for is that Anna is kind of a doofus and and she's she is glib she and is. doesn't have that seriousness that even somebody like Ariel has. But I I found that to be a big gap between this and the other princess movies and and also something that was not quite effective for me. What do you guys think? Oh, um, yeah, I think I would agree that there is a simpleness to the songs, but it's because of that that they're so catchy. Like there's not a single song in this movie that I that I don't remember that I don't know all of the words to like, they're so I I'm so quick to catch on to them. And I think it's that, that glibness and those uh, easy rhymes, the quickness of all the songs that makes them so catchy. Yeah, that's true. They, they are catchy. Um, I think I will see, I will see you the point on the glibness. And I think that's just, I, I think we've talked about this a little bit before on the show. Like there's, I think it was during Winnie the Pooh. Like there's just an update to like the, the humor and in this time that, that somehow, um, and actually Winnie the Pooh was done by the same people, right? Like did did Lopez write the songs for those ones too? So anyway, um, so maybe it's just them, but like, I just, yeah, I do feel like that's just the humor of the moment. And so like, you can like it or not like it, like, that's fine. (laughs) Like it's, it, it kind of is what it is in in that sense. Um, I will say on love is an open door. The thing that, that wins my heart on that song is when they harmonize on the word door it's so perfect. Yeah, I don't know what true. it is about those notes, but like when they come in together, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this song is so good. I I I can't I, I can't describe music well as we've established in this in this show many times, but that like go watch Love is an Open Door and when they hit those notes on door, it is it's stunning. It's just so good. Um it, it does occur to me, Josh, that that sandwich line is another place where it 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 might be hinting that Hans is not all he seems, or at least that they're not as in tune as it seems they are. That's true. That's that's mm-hmm. a good point. Yeah, that's uh, that is a good point. Um, I don't know that it's quite. So I think it, we'll get back to the music in just a second because I think this is a good point that you're making. But I think the thing that seems to be being set up is like 
maybe Hans is not your true love. Not maybe Hans is actually going to try and kill you and take over the kingdom. True. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. the, the line I quoted at the beginning is such a brutal, cruel line. And there is nothing in love is an open door that would suggest that's coming. That's, that's true. Yeah. Um, uh, the other songs, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you on in summer, um, the gag in summer when, uh, you know, the the rhyming word is puddle and he's standing right in front of a puddle. Um, you know, we, we talked about this during Winnie the Pooh, too. Like, I, I just I love the, the those kind of jokes um, when they when they don't go for the rhyme. But the, the rhyme is there visually. So, like, I don't know. It's like something only an animated movie can get away with. And I just love it. Um, Fixer Upper, I mentioned a little bit earlier. Like, I, I think Fixer Upper actually has like. I, I don't know. I didn't think about this before the movie so uh or before the podcast rather but like um i'm gonna i'm just gonna go big and say it's you got to be top three of of songs with an actually good message in the disney canon you know um but i didn't i don't i don't know what the other two songs are but i just feel like it's got a really really good song uh message yeah um, I, I agree with that although it also has a bestiality joke um maybe i i, I know you're getting that from uh uh how do you pronounce his name? Gradonis. Yeah, Gradonis. Um, I don't. I didn't see it. Even after he said it, I'm like, uh, I can see how you could do that, but it is to me. It's just like, um, you know, Christoph and Sven have a very weird <laughs> friendship. You know, like yeah, there's true. not a lot of other people with with friendships with uh, with animals um, in this movie, which you know shows that he's a good guy. You know, like so. Um, yeah, I just I took it there. I didn't take it take it all, but maybe maybe that is where it is. I don't know. Like, this, uh, there's there's that that uh, there is something real about the fact that you know Hollywood is always pushing the envelope on things like that and trying to trying to slide things in um, under 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 the radar. And so maybe I'm just having the wool pull over my eyes on that one. I don't know. But you're right. I um, mean, fi- fi- fixer upper is actually what young people need to hear about relationships. That it's not you're not looking for the perfect person. You're looking for a person who has flaws and is probably not, frankly, going to get rid of most of them. But you love them anyway. Like that. That's good advice as long as you don't take it too far. Right. Which brings us to Let It Go. (laughs) Oh, I do not like the message of Let It Go at all. And I was actually I was going to ask you guys. So Let It Go. It is. To me, it is in the genre, or I've said this on the show a couple times, that it is in the genre of the the bare necessities and Akuna Batata, where it's like super catchy, super wonderful songs. Like you want to sing along with them, um, but the but the message is actually in in polar opposition to what the the message of the movie is about. Right. Um, and I've put it in that genre before. Th- watching it this time, I wondered if it also needs to uh, kind of be a double genre um song and is it also a villain song because elsa is kind of in villain mode at that point in the movie yeah even though she's a bit of an unwitting villain she's also saying things like uh there is no right or wrong for me there's no rules 
Um, I'm turning my back on everyone. Uh, the past is in the past, which in this case is, you know, to bring back Lion King again. I know I keep bringing it up, but like um, in Lion King, that is definitely, you know, the anti-message of the movie. Like, yes, like it, like in a sense, the past is in the past. But like, you know, Rafiki says you either run from it or learn from it. And she's definitely in run from it mode, <laughs> you know, which makes her more in the in the villain sense. So I don't know. What do you guys think about Let It Go as a as a villain song? This is a movie that doesn't have a true villain song, so I guess, yes, it would be categorized as such. But I don't, it's such a powerful song that it's not so much the lyrics I love, but the music itself. It's a song that's always going to give me goosebumps. I'm probably always going to tear up towards the end of it. So I don't know. Does a villain song make you tear up? Yeah, and and that that's the... I won't even call that the incoherence of the movie because I think that's on purpose and actually fairly well done. The degree to which Elsa is a conflicted character for the, for the audience. But I, I think also Josh is right that the, the lyrics of let it go are really, really bad advice. And I don't think most of the, the kids who sing it um, really think of it as, Oh, this is a character singing it. And, you know, she she gets proven wrong by it at the end. But I mean, you were an impressionable, impressionable age when you heard it. So you you tell me what was your response to the kind of nihilism of these lyrics? I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever really thought about the content of the song at all. It's something I know the lyrics to and I belt it out, but I've never truly sat and thought about what it all means. So yeah, I in in that sense I think the the category Josh is putting it in is it's kind of the ultimate example of that category and it probably wouldn't have been if it hadn't become such a incredible cultural phenomenon. But it it there is something kind of disturbing about seeing 4 and 5 year old girls belting out <laughs> let it go cuz like, I don't want them to let it go. I want them to stay within the rules at least to some extent. You know, they should they should have limits. We should all have limits. But uh, four and five year old girls in particular probably need some limits. Josh, do your daughters love this song? They actually um, they weren't huge fans of Frozen for whatever reason. Um, and so last night they, you know, um, sometimes I'll veto whatever we're watching because they like they're on a rotation of who gets to choose the uh the saturday night movie um but my my youngest it was her week and she was so excited to watch Encanto. i was like i'm not even going to veto this i'll just stay up late and watch frozen after they go to bed so they didn't actually watch it with me this time i don't know um it's been a few years since they've seen it and they're all so young that you know like their their opinions change and their memories change and stuff so at some point i'll have to reintroduce them to this movie um but yeah i don't i don't have a good answer for you on on how they feel about it but in 2015 2016 your your oldest daughter wasn't going around belting out let it go 
Well, no, because and that's part of the thing is like I in 2015 and 2016, unlike Hannah, I had strong feelings about the words in this song. And I was like, no, I, I don't like it. I don't like that Disney is is putting this message out there, you know, like in some ways, I guess you could say like when Hannah's talking, it's like, yeah, I guess in some ways, like if you're just singing it without thinking of it, it's no worse than like row, row, row your boat, which is also pretty nihilistic. Right. Um, because like, <laughs> it is kind of Buddhist, isn't it? Yeah. Or whatever, you know, like whatever the the worldview behind that is like you know like as a kid like i never thought about it and who cares so and maybe that's the same thing here maybe i'm i'm overthinking it but i really was like you know <clears throat> i feel like and they've done it before um i can't remember the exact scenario where they did it i feel like there was some song where they changed the lyrics for the uh for the over the credits scene um, it may not have been in the Disney animated canon. It may have been in some other Disney movie, but like they changed the lyrics for the over the credit scene. I feel like they could have done that here, um, but they didn't. You know, they just really like leaned in, <laughs> leaned in on the the uh, the nihilism or the immorality of it. So I was like, I I don't understand what Disney's trying to do right now. Part of it surely has to be that they knew that that song would be taken as a gay allegory and they didn't want to they didn't want to step on the toes of the people who would take it that way. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. So I, this I think is where it becomes incoherent. And I think this is, this goes back to some of our problems uh, with Disney, the company in general at this time is that they're trying to, to shoehorn so much into the movies beyond the story that it starts to fall apart a little bit. Like, I think that's part of our critique of like this whole, like, um, you're going to want what we tell you to want type thing um, because you're, you're right. But if it is a gay allegory, like, like you said, it's actually undone within the movie itself. Right. So like, how does that make any sense? You yeah, know, I, I like, wondered that myself. It works much better as just like what you said. Um, Elsa, Elsa is a conflicted character and she's, you know, she's grown up with this trauma um and she doesn't she's never processed it properly her so parents she goes too far in the other direction yeah like that makes sense you know like that i can get behind as like a, at least a character movement and that it's well done but if you say well it's a gay allegory then it's like well that's not well done at all that's completely incoherent doesn't make any sense yeah i i agree <laughs> it, it's a it's kind of an odd um, it's kind of an odd movie to pick up on on that, but it's it's a odd movie to put into really any kind of coherent viewpoint, I think. So yeah, I, I mean, I'll I'll agree with you that um, to go all the way back to the beginning of the song song conversation that you know the Lopez's are no uh, Howard Ashman, but um... <laughs> well, they're just doing something different. I think I think that's I think that's that's fair. Um, the expecting them to be Howard Ashman is not is not is not a, they're, they're not people who are ever going to be Howard Ashman and they're not trying to be Howard Ashman. So mm -hmm. I, I do think you have to judge them on their own terms. Um, but maybe I just don't like what they're trying to do. Maybe they're maybe it's right to say they're successful at what they're trying to do, but I don't care for it as much as I liked Howard Ashman, who's, you know, obviously an incredible lyricist. And did you have any thoughts about the, the kind of gay allegory of this of this movie? Do you do you agree that it is? Do you think they were trying to do that? Um, knowing who Disney is as a company at the moment, yes, I think they were trying to do it. Um, I prefer to watch it not in that light. Yeah, and um, it's, per and it's perfectly possible to watch it not in that light. Oh, yes, very, very easy to do. 
Um, but as you guys get to Frozen 2, which will happen eventually, um, you will see it played into a little bit more and hinted at even more. I remember um, there was a movement to make her openly uh, a lesbian in the second movie, although my understanding is that it wasn't open if, if indeed they were pushing in that direction. Is that right? Not openly, but hinted at, yes. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's hinted at here, too, right? Because Han says... Yeah. The, better, the best thing would be to marry Queen Elsa, but nobody was making any headway in that direction, which I think you, you don't have to read it that way, but you definitely could read it that way. Right. Well, Hannah, you and wanted to is, talk about... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Josh. Oh, I was going to say, this is the, the one time that I will like openly praise capitalism um, because I really think having lived in China where they are very... Um, like there are many, many rules about what non-Chinese movies get into the movie theaters. Um, part of what has stopped Hollywood from pushing um, as hard in that direction as maybe they want to is that they want the Chinese market also. <laughs> and so in a weird way, it's the communists that are promoting capitalism because it's their money that Hollywood wants. And that all of that is uh, keeping movies maybe a little more uh, family friendly than than. Uh, you know, for a certain kind of family, I right, guess. Right, yeah, more, conserva- more conservative. <laughs> more, so. Yeah, more conservative, maybe, is the, the better way to say it. Um, anyway, it's it's very strange bedfellows, but um, yeah, I'll just I'll just throw that in there as my my perspective. <laughs> so anyway, Hannah, you wanted to talk about Olaf as a character, and I I think that's a very good idea because in some ways he's the most colorful and memorable character in the movie. Do you like him? Yes, so you have an ensemble cast here that I I really like every character except Olaf. There is something about him I just cannot get behind. I do not enjoy who he is as a character. But when I watch the movie, I find myself laughing at every one of his little one-liners. So I'm at this like weird spot of like, I think his lines are funny and I love in summer and his musical sequence. But as a character, I just can't stand him. So I wanted to know if you guys have any insight onto why that might be. Huh. <laughs> You're kind of playing my role in this episode, Hannah. Usually I'm the one who hates the cute sidekick, <laughs> although I, I remembered hating him, but I, I kind of liked him this time. So I, I, uh, I other than well, other than the fact that Josh Gad is just generally an annoying person. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think that's part of my problem is that he's not cute. Like, as if you just look at him without the personality, without the Josh Gad, without the voice, like as just an animation, I don't think it's very cute. I think he's a very homely looking character. And so maybe if he was cuter, like more cutesy, I would like him more. I don't know. Well, Josh, be the tiebreaker. What do you think of Olaf? Um, I think Olaf serves the, the function of making the movie better i think it would feel very like this movie would be a very different movie without olaf in it um i think it it would be much colder to continue on our 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 pun there um movie i do think that his making it better also um like like all comedic sidekick things it can take the movie out of a depth that it otherwise would reach and he's he's mater the point, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The point in the movie that I'm thinking of, which I thought was hysterical the first time I watched the movie, but on on rewatches it irritates me, is when um, 
Anna is standing at the door to Elsa's ice castle, getting ready to knock, which should be an incredibly powerful moving moment because her whole life she has been standing at Elsa's door trying to to knock and reach her and get in. And instead of having any sort of power to it, you get Olaf in the background going, just knock already. Do you think she knows how to knock? (laughs) You know, and it's like it's a funny line the first time, but like it it really it it shallows the movie. Yeah. Where there are other points in the movie, though, where things are so dark that you do need that comic relief. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I think they just, you know, there's a little too much, uh, a little too much of Olaf. What do you think of his line? Some people are worth melting for. (laughs) It's a very sweet line, but it makes no sense because he 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 already started the fire. He can leave the room. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason for him to die. Also, he seemed to not understand what melting was up until that point in the movie. Like, I, I, I think it's a it's a it's a line that sounds good, but like so much else in this movie doesn't make perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Now, with with the existence of Olaf and Marshmallow, the big monster, it begs the question, can Elsa create life? Yeah, I, I wondered about the extent and limits of her power as well. Especially at the end when she puts, she creates, um, roller, the flurry. Uh, for- well, that that, but I was thinking, see, that's at least snow, but she makes ice skates for Anna, and up to that point, I don't think she's been able to create anything other than snow. Oh, I was under the impression those ice skates were made out of ice. Oh, you may be right. If that's true, then then I I withdraw the objection. But that would be right. awfully metal, cold on then- your feet. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, she does seem to be able to create some something approaching life. Maybe it's just an artificial intelligence that's sufficiently advanced that we can't tell the difference. Maybe maybe they pass the Turing test. What's, I was interested, I, I had forgotten that they actually make Olaf at the beginning of the movie. That, that he's the snowman they make when they're little kids. And, and yes, he's. He's like their childhood connection. Right. And so it does make sense that he's his personality makes much more sense at that point. Right. Like if she had made him in the present day, as she makes marshmallow, he would probably be terrifying and cruel. Mm -hmm. But instead, he's this, you know, goofy, idiotic sidekick. Ugly, apparently. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I do think it, it – in some ways I like for the fairy tale aspect of this movie that her powers are not well-defined. And especially since it's a movie about her discovering what exactly her powers are and learning to control them. But on the other hand, it at some points it does seem like it just gives the filmmakers license to do whatever they want and say, oh, it must have been one of her powers. I would be interested to see – if there was some sort of Bible they were using within the studio to say, here's what Elsa can do. And we're not going to reveal all this on screen, but you know, for us, for the writers and the animators, this, these are her limits. I would be interested to know if, if such a thing existed. Oh, that's interesting. Cause then if you watch the shorts that follow this and then frozen Two, her powers do grow and change a lot. Like there's a short where she gets a cold and every time she sneezes, a new little they're called snogies but they're like like little olafs little snowballs that have faces and 
personalities um, appear. And that just happens when she sneezes, like it's involuntary. Um, and so I wonder, yeah, like if they had a written out Bible of like, this is what she can do. And now as we expand the franchise, we're going to stick within these realms. Yeah. This, yes, that, that, I, I, that would that would make it a better movie, I think. Mm-hmm. They they wave their hands about this at the end of the movie because she's like, "Oh, it's fear that's making me do what I was doing, but now I'm going to operate from love." And I don't know what the hell that means. Um, like they they don't explain very well what's going through her mind when she manages to get rid of all the snow. Mm-hmm. I thought that same thing. Like, oh, all of a sudden you can just decide to love, and then it works. Right. And they have given us a good definition of love, a Christian definition of love, right? Mm-hmm. It's willing the good of the other. It's the, the Thomist definition of love. But um, it, it's not exactly clear to me how Elsa is is exercising that particular action other than they need this. They need the movie to be over at this point. <laughs> love is a God term in our culture, so nobody really asks what it means. So it just sounds like something good. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you two on that one. It was it was a little uh, it's it's feel it's feel goody, you know. It's like oh, that feels nice, you know. Um, but but yeah, again on on you know the same thing that we've been saying for the, for most of the episode. Upon reflection, it's like well, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so much of this movie just does not make sense when you think about it. And maybe that. I, is that true of all of them? Like if, if we had, if we had been a little more skeptical of beauty and the beast, for example, would we be saying, Oh, this movie doesn't make sense either. I don't know, Michael. Cause it's like you said, like kind of the point of this whole show is to be reflective. And I feel like our, you know, our show would have ended you know, three or four movies in, if that was the case, like, I feel like we found things even in like the, you know, the wartime, movies and stuff like we didn't like those movies but we still you know for the most part found things to talk about that were you know i mean I, i'm sure i haven't gone back to listen through and we'll probably never go back and listen through um everything that we've ever said so i i know um you know that we've had movies that we've had more to say about and less to say about for sure you know right. um Which we, i know we did we didn't hate this movie because i think we've already hit an hour yeah, <laughs> the, the, the hour the hour limit is like if we're under an hour, I know we really hated a movie. <laughs> yeah, and I do think in general we try and keep a, a fairly positive tone, even though we're not, you know, we don't stray from criticism. But I think neither of us enjoys just you know ripping something apart. Like that's right. that's not style either. But I I do think it's too far to say like, well, if we'd been a little more critical, it would have, you know, every movie would have fallen apart. Like, I don't know. I think there's something particular about this movie. And like I said, I think some of it is, is maybe the long development time and, you know, the merging of all these different stories. Maybe it's the, the, the ensemble cast, maybe it's the, the glibness of the lyrics, you know, because I mean, in these musicals, um, you know, especially, you know, in those classic musicals, the 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 music itself does a lot of heavy lifting on plot and story. And, um, you know, uh, Kristen Lopez does get a uh, a writing credit on this as far as story. It's deep in the credits, but it, it is in there. Um, so I do think it's trying to do some of the heavy lifting, but it's I don't know. I think I think that's too far to say, like, oh, every movie would would fall apart under this level of scrutiny. I don't I don't feel like we're being, you know, that heavily scrutinizing it. I just I think there's no there there. Hmm. 
What do you think, Hannah? I, think? I assumed when you asked to be on this episode that this was a movie that like was one of your favorites. No, I agree. I I think it is a poorly written storyline as a whole, um, and it's held together by a great ensemble cast and catchy music. And that part has been able to survive within culture, and the characters are able to stay alive on their own. Um and that has led to the franchise. Like, I think this beginning movie is quite weak in terms of story. Interesting. It's the potential of the characters that has led to its lasting effects. What would you say about the second one? Knowing, I know I haven't seen it. Have you seen it, Josh? I have not. I'm, I'm waiting to see it when we get there. So do you, do you think we're going to be, do you think we're going to think the second one doesn't have the same problems? Yes, I think the second one is a better story. You get a lot more of Elsa. It's more balanced between Anna and Elsa. Um, you'll get more music, and I think you'll find that it is deeper music, better music. Um, yes, they will delve way deeper into the Frozen lore um, to give you a better story in the second movie. Well, now I'm looking forward to it. I was kind of dreading it as a, uh, <laughs> as a sequel. No, in terms of sequels, I think it could actually stand alone as its own movie better than it can than this original can. All right. That's really interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it, too. I know that I I don't know if it's been publicly on this show or not. Oh, it must have been at some point. But like, you know, I think, this. Uh, you know, speaking of trauma, like uh, not not to connect uh, Michael and I's trauma of growing up with the. Uh, the direct-to-video era <laughs> to, <laughs> to Elsa's trauma. I know it's uh, they're, they're on ent- entirely different planes. Trauma, I, trauma does a lot of heavy lifting these days. That works. Yes, it does. <laughs> Everything's yes, yeah, trauma. I know. I, I, that, that this might be the thing. point, though, that, like, if not Tangled, this might be the point where every Disney movie became about trauma. You know? Yeah, I mean, Certainly yeah. the last mm-hmm. three or four have all been about that. It gets kind of tedious. Right. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I I know I was and I was I was very seriously joking with that uh, with the trauma line. But I do think it it shapes our our imagination of what a sequel is. <laughs> I think the sequel got a really bad rap for a few years, and so um, it, it's it's hard to get excited about a sequel, um, even though there are a number of of good ones. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they, it it still feels like the good ones are exceptions rather than the rule. So, but I I also like agree with you that the characters themselves save the movie in a lot of ways like there there are movies where you just enjoy the characters despite the story that they're stuck in and like Mm -hmm. i really like i really like anna and i really like Kristoff, and i'm glad we get to spend you know the the majority of the movie with them like they're they're really really fun characters yeah and the the performances are really good it's probably my favorite Kristen bell role i don't like her as much as everybody else seems to um, but she's uh, she's very good at this part. And my understanding is she had them rewrite a lot of the stuff to make Anna more like herself. Yeah, I believe I read that as well. And I agree that it's a wonderful Kristen Bell performance. Adina Menzel is perfect in the position of Elsa. <laughs> and I, though it is a, you're right that it's not really a sister movie. Um, I think the movie ends with them as sisters. And that is the world that little girls live in now is like it's at the end of it, you're 
after the story when the sisters are reconnected. And so they still continue to be, it's still a sister story because you end with them as the sisters and having the relationship. And so when girls play with their Anna and Elsa toys now, they're playing with them as sisters. That makes sense. Hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's a really, really good point. And it's, yeah, that's good. Yeah. It actually, it, it softens what I said earlier about like this movie feels like a lot of things that it actually isn't like, mm-hmm. I, I think you're right that especially with a movie at this level and the, you know, it's, it's inseparable from, you know, it, the things that live outside the movie, like it's inseparable mm-hmm. from where we started with, with the meet and greets. It's inseparable from the, the happy meal toys or whatever, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it, it lives on in the lives of the kids who are who are seeing it um, in that way, and and that that is not something to be discounted lightly. So, great point. I know that we've talked about that on the main podcast about David Grubbs is like cargo cult relationship to GI Joe. Like he had never seen an episode of GI Joe, had no idea what they were, but somehow got his hands on the toys and turned them into whatever he wanted. And I'd, like that gives me hope sounds like something kind of similar is going on with with children i i have no i i know that my nieces they dress up as dressed up as anna and elsa they're probably too old for that now but i don't i don't really have a sense of what their what form their play took yeah my my um thing my my current reality with that is uh you know raya and the last dragon um sisu has uh, a bunch of siblings who are mentioned throughout the movie, but they don't really appear in the movie at all. They're, you know, um, <laughs> uh, but my, my kids got a package of, of the toys. And so they have, you know, all sorts of things that they've come up with on their own, you know, just with that, that those little seeds of knowledge of like what, what these, you know, dragons are from the movie. Um, but now in their play, they all have their own personalities and, you know, like they're, they're things that they like to do and, and and all this and it's it's all basically from nothing you know it's not it's not quite um you know creation out of nothing but it's it's pretty close there's very little in Raya and the last track and that, that that gives them that but it's it's enough you know interesting um i mean do you guys want to talk about jonathan groff as uh as christoph or what is hans's name santino fontana is that right yeah just i mean jonathan groff is you know, I, I only, you know, I only, uh, this is how uncultured I am, is I only know people from their very biggest thing. So I know him <laughs> from Hamilton, and I know him from this, you know. Right, he uh, was on Glee, too, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, uh, yeah, he's he's great at uh, coming in with the, uh, the, the super catchy um, song that, you know, is is not entirely necessary, but is also entirely necessary. <laughs> He's also a big Broadway star and got no no real song in this movie. <laughs> yeah, well, reindeers are better than people as he, well. He is redeemed in Frozen too. He will get a, his big number. Victoria was and saying, I, I have a feeling they'll both like it. Oh, good. Victoria was saying yesterday that um, she's a big Broadway fan, and I guess there he has a rival on Broadway. I can't remember the guy's name. But she was saying that he did a show once and said that he went out for that part, too. Um, and Groff got it. And he said, well, now I'm going to sing Groff's big number from that movie. And then he said, oh, wait, 
there wasn't one. <laughs> it does seem weird to have like a big Broadway guy come on and then the only song he gets is that 50-second novelty. And the little lullaby, yeah. Which is a funny song and a, and a nice character moment. And, of course, mm-hmm. I mean, Sven is one of the all-time great silent Disney sidekicks, I, I think. I think he's he's a wonderful character, very well animated. Kind of everything Maximus the horse was mm-hmm. in Tangled and then some. Well, you yeah. call him a silent character, but really he does have a voice through Kristoff. That's and true. like you still get lots of lines from Sven. That's true. And and done much better than if Sven actually talked. I think. Yeah. Yeah, interestingly, like we had kind of the same conversation with, uh, you know, you have a, a giant Broadway star and then you don't give him any lines during uh, in, or any uh, song in, in Enchanted um, with uh, Adina Menzel. With Men- that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. Oh, of all people. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of kind of a, a weird uh, parallelism there. Mm hmm. I feel the movie as a whole ends very abruptly. And this is, I don't, you guys will have the knowledge from watching all the other Disney movies. I feel like there needs to be a closing number. Like Fixer Upper Mm. is the last song you hear. Is that common in all the other Disney movies that there's not a closing song or is this one unique? There's usually like a reprise of one of the big songs. Wouldn't you say Josh? Maybe not. I think it's a great question. I don't know. Um, I've been thinking about it all afternoon and I can't think of like, like does little mermaid end with the song? I don't think they do. Yeah. They're at the wedding and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's no song at the wedding, right? And little mermaid. No. And beauty and the beast ends pretty much immediately with like the, the resurrection of the beast. Is there anything mm-hmm. that happens after that? No, but there, I mean, there is a song oh. right before that, right? The mob song. Right. Oh, yes, yes. Or is there a reprise in Beauty and the Beast? Because I feel like they're all humans. And are they dancing again? I don't remember. I was thinking there was a reprise of Beauty and the Beast. The last song in The Little Mermaid is Kiss the Girl. Oh, my. That's crazy. That's, that's yeah. way early in that movie. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So this isn't that unusual, although I was surprised when I looked at the soundtrack and saw that that was the last song, that um, uh, Fixer Upper is the last song. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it does look like there is not a reprise of Beauty and the Beast, unless you count <laughs> Celine Dion and Peebo Bryson's adult contemporary version, which, say what you will about it, it is better than Demi Lovato's Let It Go. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah, Beauty, uh, the mob song is the last song in Beauty and the Beast. So mm-hmm. I, I guess it's it's not atypical, and maybe once you get to that kind of action part of the movie, they just feel like um, they just feel like there's no space left for a song. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, looks like. A Whole New World is the last song in Aladdin. Wow. So it really is like they get to the big love song and that's it. Um, can you feel the love tonight? 
No, I was, I was asking, can you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it, it it this this seems fairly typical in that regard. Oh, we've uncovered something. <laughs> it's kind of kind of horrifying, actually. There's the, it, it seems like there's more songs in all of these movies than there are. Mhm. Yeah, this song feels particularly packed it's on that front end. It feels like there's a lot of songs. I mean, I think part of it is Anna has two songs. Like back to back, right, right at the beginning. Not right. to mention the 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 ice song that you mentioned earlier, Michael. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it opens with the ice song, and then there's and then Anna has two right away, and then um, yeah. Now, it's, Princess and the Frog has a a finale version, a reprise of Down in New Orleans. But before that, the last song is Dig a Little Deeper. I think a song that has an awful lot in common with Fixer Upper. Yeah. Yep. That's another yeah. one I'd put in those uh in that top three. <laughs> oh, in terms of like good song, yeah, good songs advice. is a really good me- message, yeah. What's the what's the third one, Josh? Um, I have to think about it. I don't know. One step ahead from Aladdin. No. Teach, teach <laughs> you how to how to shoplift. Yeah, that's right. Uh, right. One jump ahead, excuse me. What's the uh, what's the vulture's friend song? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> or the the song in Hunchback where the bishop is praying to the Virgin Mary to relieve his his lust, so he's he's not lusting after. Oh him. man, so no, that's no, a good no, 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 no. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh man. <laughs> Well, I mean, do you guys have anything else to say about um, about Frozen, the the phenomenon, the movie, the phenomenon, the the Epcot ride? Which I guess, if I ever go back to Epcot, I'll have to give a shot since Hannah Hannah vouches for it. And I know that <laughs> Hannah hates um, hates characters taking over old attractions because I really I've, do. Yeah, I've heard you complain about what happened to the Great Movie Ride. Yes. Which I will say, Mickey Minnie's Runway Railway is a, a pretty superb ride. It just shouldn't be in that building. Yeah, yeah. The the Great Movie Ride was something special. It really was. But this isn't a. Uh, unfortunately, this isn't a uh, show on rides at Disney World. If, if that if that <laughs> if I ever do that show, Hannah, you will definitely be the person I ask to co-host. Please, I would love to be. Josh, you got anything left to say about Frozen? Have we exhausted it? Have we melted it? <laughs> I think we have. I think uh, this is a fun conversation. And I think it, you know, the, the insight that it helped me to come away with is just, you know, some movies are just fun and it's okay. That's <laughs> true. That's true. It is, it is, it is okay just to be fun. It's just, it, it, it because it was such a phenomenon, um, it it feels like we have to have more to say about it than just it's it's a it's an okay movie until you think about it you know like because it was so huge, right? You would you would hope that something like that where it's a big cultural phenomenon would would like coincide with it also being an incredibly deep rich story or something like that. But um, yeah, I feel like if it did that, it would undermine everything that we've ever said about Mass Cult. So that's true. <laughs> Maybe we should. I would love to be proven wrong about Mass Cult, but I guess I'm not. Not, not this time. Not this time. Maybe, maybe next time. What are we? What, what's the next movie? Big Hero Six. 
Big Hero 6. Which yeah. I have never seen. Um, I've only seen, I think I've only seen it once. Um, I remember enjoying it. It is, man, talk about a little outside of the norm for uh, a Disney. Um, I'm sure we'll get to this next month, but the teaser is that, you know, this is right after the Disney Marvel uh, merger. And um, so this is the, this is the first Marvel comic that is adapted into the Disney canon. Oh, the interesting. Only. I didn't know that. Yeah. So very, very loose adaptation, probably, probably as loose as um, the Snow Queen in the Frozen, honestly. <laughs> okay. But it is, but it is a Marvel property. I will say that. So, um, and I think we're getting uh, Danny Anderson, right, from the Sectarian Review. I think he agreed to do it. That's great because he is a well-known hater of Disney. That's true. So, yeah, uh, I think I think it's kind of a big deal that he ever listens to this show because he really hates Disney, which is funny because he loves Marvel. And he often quotes. Uh, he also call, he often calls himself um, a bear of little, very little brain. Like that's one of his catchphrases. That's true. Yeah, maybe he doesn't well, hate as much as he thinks. Yeah, maybe so. We'll find out, I guess. So anyway, we all have that to look forward to. Hannah, thanks so much for coming on the show. I um, you I I contacted you I think two years ago about coming yeah. on the show, and you said wait till Frozen. <laughs> and I've been waiting ever <laughs> since. Those two years flew by when you texted me. I was like, whoa, they're there already? There's no <laughs> to catch up on. Yeah, there's not as many movies as you think there are, you know? No. Or is, at least it's, not as many movies as I think there are. It's canon, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. We're kind of on the old interwebs <laughs> before they were .live and ChristenHumanist.org. You can help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at BeforeTheyWereLive at gmail.com. Uh, we also want to encourage you to set your podcast player styles to the Christian Humanist Radio Network. You'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for spending the time with us. So for Hannah, Michael, I'm Josh. Reminding you, don't let the frostbite bite.